You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. Hello again. It's good to see you all again for the third time this morning. And I was three in the other meeting as well, so it's the sixth time this morning. Good to see you all. One thing that Tom forgot to do, oh my goodness, I mean, we've worked, we've spent hours working on the choreography, but we still forgot that you can give somebody a shoulder, you can give them a hip, you can give them a foot, but of course you can also give them an elbow, because that's really popular. So you can honestly say, that church say that they're very welcoming, I went in the door and they gave me the elbow. So you can say that they kicked you out. Anyway, I want to talk to you this morning about your happiness. Now, if you're tired of hearing about happiness, you need to get a life. Because you really want to be happy. And God also wants you to be happy. The contention that I laid out the last couple of times, I talked about happiness. And I'm going to be talking about it for another while yet. So I hope you'll put up with me. Because it's so important. The contention that I laid out the last couple of times was one, that God is the true source of your happiness. And that if we make certain decisions and choices, we can emphasize our own happiness in ways that God has helped us and enabled us to do. A couple of times ago, I did a message called First Things First. If you get the priorities right in your life, you will be a happier person. If you get the most important things into the bedrock of your life, you will be a happier person. The second week I was talking about, sorry, talking about first things first. And the first thing that we should seek, of course, is the kingdom of God. Jesus said, and all these other things will be just added to you. They will be thrown in free of charge when you seek God first. Then we looked at uh, one thing. What was the one thing that we could do that would probably most improve our happiness? And that is spend time in the presence and the company of Jesus. That's the next first thing. That is it. If you can do that one thing in your life, your happiness, I guarantee you will improve. And how do I know that? Because you are body, soul, and spirit. You are a complete person. And the part of you is going to be with God in eternity, in bliss, in utter heaven. And in that heaven is where the presence of God is. So we can know a foretaste of the presence of God permanently in our lives, day in and day out. As the old children's songs song says, read your Bible every day, read, 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 read your Bible, make sure you pray, 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 pray. If you do that one thing in your day, it will improve your happiness. I want to look at something else that's very, very biblical, but it's also very scientific about happiness this morning. I want to look at some other elements as we go on in the next couple of weeks of things that are both scientific and are biblical that will improve our happiness. Today, I want to talk about happiness, the attitude of gratitude. I don't even really like the phrase, but it is very, very useful to have an attitude of gratitude. Some people have an attitude of grumbling and griping and moaning. You probably work with them. I hope you're not married to any of them, but there you are. Uh, But you know people, but I'm talking this morning about having an attitude of gratitude. I want to look a little bit at science, believe it or not, because some people think that faith and science are enemies. Mm -mm -mm. Get that idea out of your head. That is a false conflict created by people who would like to to make Christians feel isolated from reality. The Bible and science are not enemies, not in any way. However, not everything in the Bible is scientific, nor is anything, nor is everything that is 
scientific, actually true or provable. But I want to to go that route. Here's a theory that has been doing the rounds in in science for quite some time now. It's certainly been going for the last 50 years or so. You see, there was a development about 50 years ago when a whole new area of scientific and psychological study began. It was known as positive psychology. The idea was that by thinking happy thoughts and by making happy decisions, people would end up happier. And of course, all the official psychologists who really had studied hard, their fried and so on and so forth, all said, poo-poo, what a useless load of tosh. And some Christians said, no, this can't be what God wants. They're all in Northern Ireland as it happens. But, um, <laughs> but some people said that it was rubbish. But you know what? The more, uh, more time has gone on, it's showing to be more and more truthful and scientific that if we can adjust the way we think about our lives, our lives become better. Hello, the Bible's only been saying it for 6,000 years. So they're only catching up with us, brothers. I know some in the scientific community, very few, but there are some in the scientific community, huh, those, those, those pagans, those, those idiots, those, those stone age dopes studying and reading the Bible. Well, the Bible was ahead of them in so many areas. It's just that we haven't had the right eyes to see at times. Anyway, one of the theories in this idea of psychology was what's called a set point of happiness. Now, the theory goes like this. That you were born in a certain way with a certain capacity for happiness, for experiencing happiness. And the theory goes that no matter what you do, however, if you're a very happy person, no matter what bad you experience, over a short period of time, you will come back to about the same level of happiness. It works the other way as well. No matter how bad you are or how bad you feel, if you have a good experience over a short matter of time, things will restore and come back to where they were. What they call your set point of happiness. Now, some people recognize this because some people in, say, in the dietary community would talk about a set point of weight. That sometimes, no matter how much weight you lose, for some reason you end up back around the same weight again. I'm just using that for an example that I think people might be able to connect with. And so the theory with the set point of happiness goes like this. Following, following on from it, there's a thing called the hedonic treadmill. Has anybody here heard of the hedonic treadmill? If you have, put your hand up. Okay, you have an amount to teach you about the hedonic treadmill. The idea of the hedonic treadmill is this. That when you get on, has any, does everybody here know what a treadmill is? Yeah, You know it's a thing that you go out for a run, but you don't actually go for a run because you stay in for the run and you stay in the same place. And the mill does the thing and you don't get to see the birds or the green trees. You just get to stare at the picture of your Auntie Mary on the wall as you run. Do you know that one? So you're on a treadmill and the idea of the hedonic treadmill goes like this and it ties into the set point of happiness. And that is that there's a certain amount of happiness in your life. And no matter what you add to your life, whether that it's a material thing, whether that's a relational thing... Whatever it is that you add to your life, you'll still end up kind of back in the same place that you were in on the treadmill. That you're not actually running anywhere and you're not actually changing no matter what events change around you in your life. And so you might get that new car that you always wanted. You might get that relationship you always wanted. You might get that house or that holiday that you always wanted. But in the end, you're going to kind of come back to the same place on the hedonic treadmill. Are you with me? Don't be making sense? Okay, let me turn the treadmill off here because I'm running out of breath. Oh, that's just nice to get a little bit of a workout in the middle of the day. But you know what? There's a problem with it. And it's this. Modern science is no beginning to tell us that we can actually move away from this set point of happiness. 
They're now thinking, it's not my research, it's somebody else's, that about 10% of your happiness is made up of your circumstances. About 10% of, the, if you will, if you have a 100% happiness quotient, about 10% of it is made up of your circumstances. In other words, if you get the car and the home and the girl or the guy or the career that you want, it will make you a little bit happier. About 10%. And about 50% you've gotten from your parents. It's in your genes, okay? So you just got genes that make you happy. Do you know what I'm saying? Look, I don't talking about these genes, no, of course. I'm talking about, you know, kind of hereditary. You know, nice genes can make you happy too, don't get me wrong. But, um, but you've got genes, genes in your system, in your DNA, and you've got about 50% of those is what di- dictates your happiness. But that leaves this big wide range of 40% of up and down that you can add or take away from your happiness. Now, let me, before I go one step further, does anybody here want to be more happy? Yeah, about half of us, the rest of us are quite happy. No, get your hand up if you want to be more happy. Thank you. No liars in the room here this morning. We want to be more happy. I want to look this morning at what gratitude can do and how it can affect our happiness. Because sometimes it's being aware to the things that are in our lives that actually can give us greater happiness. You know, for some husbands, this means maybe seeing your wife in the new light of the angel and the grace that she is in your life. No. Sorry. Sorry. Would any of the men say amen? Tom said amen. Would any of the men say amen? I'm not, I'm not stopping that you say amen. Some ways it may be able to see things like, you know, that you've got running water in your home. We all go, of course I've got running water in your home. Oh yeah? Well, there's one third of the world's population do not have running water in their homes. And that you've got a roof over your head. Shush, everyone's a roof over their heads. Oh yeah, that's not actually the case. Again, about one third of the world's population don't actually have a roof that is over their heads that keeps them safe. There's loads of different ways in which we can look at our lives and improve our happiness by recognizing what we already have. Now, this is very true in secular science. It is true. It works as a psychology simply by this. This is a guy called Ben Steen. He's a comedian. He's a writer and he's also an economist and he said this about gratitude he said I can't tell you anything that in a few minutes will tell you how to be rich but I can tell you how to feel rich which is far better than being rich be grateful it's the only totally reliable get rich quick scheme It's the only totally reliable get-rich-quick scheme. Why? Because gratitude involves us taking an account of what actually is good in our lives. The things for which we have to give thanks. Now this works on a scientific level and it also works on a faith level. However, there's a problem. Then the problem is this. It is richer for somebody of faith because if you're an atheist, if you don't believe in God, you might have a bit of a problem. This is what G.K. Chesterton said about people who are atheists. The worst moment for an atheist, he said, is when he feels a profound sense of gratitude and has no one to thank. <laughs> no one to thank. Oh, I, this moment is so perfect. I just want to say, t- uh, yeah, uh, maybe not. That's the problem for the atheist. Because there's times that happen in lives when that sense of gratitude fills us and it's beyond our natural circumstances. There's times when we feel overwhelmed with gratitude for good gifts in our lives. And Christians know that every good gift comes from the, our Father of heavenly lights. That's where every good gift comes from in your life. Amen? amen? Would anybody else say amen down the back? Amen. They're all, oh, they're all very quiet down the back. Oh, they're all very quiet down the back. 
Oh, they're all very quiet. They're all very quiet. Oh, they're all very quiet down the back. You see, that wasted childhood wasn't wasted after all. I want to look at a story about gratitude in the New Testament. Many, many of you will know it, especially if you've read the Bible at all for any period of time, you'll know the story. I'm going to look at Luke chapter 17. And I'm going to look at the circumstances of somebody who had really, really bad circumstances and whose situation ends up being transformed by an encounter with Jesus. I'm looking at Luke's gospel, chapter 17, and I'm looking at the story of what I call the lone leper. The lone leper. Let's pray before we read God's word. Amen. Will you bow your head with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. And though the words written in it are ancient and old and thousands of years old, Lord, they're still living today. We pray, Lord, that these words will turn from two dimensions into three dimensions in our reality today, Lord God. I pray we will live in your word as your word lives in us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless us. Let's read. Let's get into Luke's gospel, chapter 17. As Jesus continued towards Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. And as he entered a village there, 10 men with leprosy stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, when you look at this and you kind of get the first glance at this, you go, okay, 10 men with leprosy, what's the gig there? Well, let me tell you about leprosy, right? Leprosy was the most feared disease of the ancient world. It was the most feared disease of the ancient world. If you got leprosy, your life was ruined. You were completely finished. You were cut off from society. You could never again touch your children. You could never again hug your wife or be hugged. You could never again physically engage with somebody who wasn't a leper. In actual fact, according to Leviticus 14 in the Old Testament, you had to wear ragged clothes, put ashes on your head, and when you went into any social situation, you had to say, unclean, unclean, so that everybody knew that you had a disease that nobody wanted to get. These men actually got themselves together into a little group. They were what you might refer to as socially isolated. They had to self-isolate from the rest of society because they had this disease. Moreover, Moreover, not only were they socially isolated, they also had to self and social distance. The rules were, approximately, that if you had leprosy, you could come no closer than about six feet, just under two meters, away from the nearest person. So that if you walked towards them, they would automatically walk backwards. They would just stay away from you if you had leprosy. You were an outcast. You couldn't work. You were poor. You were homeless. You were thrown out of society and everything. Everybody was afraid that they would catch what you have. Does that sound at all familiar to you? Is that ringing any bells here in the room this morning? Because that's exactly what we're facing at the moment with the big scare about coronavirus and COVID-19. Some people think that if you come into contact with somebody who's got coronavirus, they will touch your hand. And in a few moments, like those zombie movies, you're going to go... That's not what's going to happen to you. So these men stand at a distance from Jesus and they cry out to him, Jesus, 
Master, have mercy on us. They can't get any physically closer. They're not allowed to get any closer. You know, sometimes, and I'm sure it's true for some people in here this morning, let me prophesy to you. There are people in this room this morning, and you have felt a big distance between you and Jesus. You have felt far away from God. The reality of God has felt far away from your life. But I want to say to you this morning, cry out from a distance, and Jesus will hear your cry. You don't have to dress it up or you don't have to butter it up and you don't have to say, Lord, I vouchsafety, will thou hear my prayer? You don't just cry out, Jesus, have mercy on me. And he loves that prayer. It's a prayer from the heart and from the soul. Jesus looked at them and said, go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. As they went, not when Jesus gave the command, Not when they heard the command, not when they cried out to Jesus, but as they went. When they actually followed his instruction. And that's what happens in our lives, brothers and sisters. It is when we begin to follow Jesus, it is when we begin to obey his commands in our lives that we experience the deepest and most profound life change we could ever experience. It's when we hear and then we obey. You see, all of us are three concentric circles, if you will. We are three concentric circles. Just bear with this for a second. So for every one of us, the outermost part of us is our emotions. It's the part we feel with. It's the part we feel with. And then inside that, there is our thinking. It's our minds. It's how we operate and how we logically figure out things. But within that again, there is our will. It's where we finally act and do what it is that God is telling us to do. Let me give you an example. Imagine you lived up the street from a guy, an old man named Jerry. Jerry is 91 years of age. He's sprightly for it but he's clearly getting a bit weak and every Friday morning as you go past Jerry you see Jerry putting out his bins and he's pulling out his roller bin hello Jerry hello how are you and he's pulling out his bin and every morning you see Jerry lumbering out this 20 or 30 or 40 kilo wheelie bin out onto the street and as you drive past you go oh poor old Jerry do you know what I really feel for that man having to pull that bin out on his own And then when you get home, you remember Jerry and you think, you know what, do you know what I should do? Do you know what I should do? I say, you know, I think think I'm going to have to go up and I'm going to have to help Jerry and offer to put out his bin for him. And then we we get into the thinking phase. We get to, first we feel Jerry's pain and then we begin to think about how we could help Jerry's problem. But you know something? We have done nothing until we go up and we knock on Jerry's door. And say, Jerry, I'll take out your bin for you from now on. It is as we go about, as we begin to act, it is when it gets into our will and we make the choices and decisions, that's when our lives are changed. And that's what happened to these men. They heard the voice of, he heard their voice. They heard his voice. He gave them an instruction. And as they went, they were healed. If you hear God giving you an instruction in your life, when you read his word or by his spirit or by a prophecy, if you hear an instruction and you know it's from God, obey it and you will be blessed. Would anyone say amen? Amen. Onward it goes. One of them, when he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. And he fell to the ground, thanking him for what he had done. He, he's on his way. He realizes he's healed. I don't know. It doesn't say whether he got to, to visit the priest and see if he was okay. He realizes he's healed. Rejoices. Hallelujah. I'm healed. And he comes running straight back to Jesus. Throws himself down on his feet and thanks him for what he has done. And I love the next line. It says, and this man was a Samaritan. 
Now, if you're wondering what's the key about Samaritans, the Samaritans were hated by the Jews. They were their religious, ethnic, and cultural enemies. And Jesus, when he heals these men, the implication is that nine of them were Jews like Jesus was, and one was a Samaritan. That's the clear implication. And the man who comes running back is the last guy you would expect to see coming back. The last person you'd see to come back. But only one of them comes back. And then Jesus comments on it. He says, didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? And I think it's a good question. Were they all teenagers or something? You know, they just didn't thank. You know, they just weren't grateful or something. I don't know. Where are the other nine? What a great question. And he says, has no one returned to give glory except this foreigner? Oh, Jesus would never say something like that. Yes, he did. Has no one come back to give thanks except this foreigner? And know the key. And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. You heard the voice of God. You listened to his command. And you obeyed by faith. And that has healed you. And you know the word healed used here is the word Greek word sozo, which actually means to save. So the word heal refers to his soul as well as his body. So he is completely healed. And so the implication is for any reader who'd read Luke's gospel, they would understand that it was only the one who returned and gave thanks who experienced the salvation of God. He was the only one, the one who deliberately went back and acknowledged God's goodness in his life. He was the one who experienced the salvation and the healing. And it's true for us too, brothers and sisters. When we acknowledge God, we experience his healing and his blessing. We become effective. We are used. We are changed when we come back and acknowledge God's goodness in our lives. Are you with me? Let me look. Let's have a look. As I said, a lot of this will work, if you will, for for both those who believe and those don't who believe. Obviously, being saved is only for those who believe. Here's what the psalmist says. He says in Psalm 50, Giving thanks is a sacrifice that truly honors me. If you keep my path, I will reveal to you the salvation of God. Giving thanks is a sacrifice that truly honors me. When you thank someone for what they have done, you honor their work. You honor their generosity. You honor their kindness. When you thank someone, you recognize that it has cost them to do something for you. And when you thank them, you give honor to that. But I'll go one further. It's the way that salvation of God is prepared. The one who gives thanks honors me. You know, when you go to work tomorrow, when you go to work tomorrow, if you begin to thank God almost impassively for the good things that have happened in your life, you will notice that people will begin to listen when you begin to acknowledge God. You know, Jesus said, he who acknowledges me, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Hallelujah. If you acknowledge me, no, does it mean acknowledge me? You have to go in and say, I am a Bible-believing, water-baptized, Bible-bashing, blood-bought Christian. Is that what you have to do? I hope not because I'm in trouble if that's what you have to do. But if you acknowledge God, people will pay attention. People will note that there's something different about the way that you live and the things that you appreciate in your life. There's, um, 
There's an American uh, motorcyclist, a motocross rider, Shane McElwraith is his name. And he recently won a couple of races. And um, when he was riding these races, my son Rory is a motocross fan. He has, he has his own motorbike and that kind of stuff. And he loves motocross. And we were having a conversation. And Rory said to me, he said, I think that Shane McElwraith is a Christian. And I said, why do you think that? He said, because every time he's interviewed, after he wins a race, he says several times that he wants to thank God for this victory. And that's all he has to do. Just acknowledge God. I mean, how many of you here have heard of Katie Taylor? Did you ever, see, did you ever come across Katie Taylor? Did you ever see Katie? And some of you don't. She's an Irish female boxer. She won the gold medal in London in the 2012. I know she's the world champion in about 37 different divisions. She's just an amazing fighter. But she's also a Christian. And every time she's interviewed after a fight, it's like they say to her, Katie, what do you put this fight down to? And she'll always say, I just want to thank Jesus for what he's done in my life. Uh, I thank God for helping me to beat the living day outside of that other boxer uh, I've sent her home with a black eye by God's grace thank you very much and she thanks God and she acknowledges God what's curious about it is that when RTE the Irish National Broadcasting Service interview her invariably the interviewer say well Katie what did you think of that fight said, I just want to thank God and I want to thank all the people who were praying for me during the fight it's might as well she might as well said nobody hears what she's saying they don't want to hear what she's saying but she's acknowledging God and preparing the way for salvation in the lives of others let me get down to the brass tacks there's a Christian there's an American Christian writer his name is Robert Emmons and he wrote a book called thanks how gratitude can make you happier it's a brilliant book I strongly recommend it Amazon click do it whatever you want to do but I'd strongly recommend it as a book it's fantastic it's a scientific study on the benefits of gratitude and he wrote in his book in the summary of his book. He writes it in both in the foreword and in the afterword. In the summary of the book, this is what he says about gratitude, about saying, about giving thanks. He says this. Grateful people experience higher levels of positive emotion scientifically. No, brothers and sisters, this is not, I just have an opinion. He did the science on this. P- uh, grateful people experience higher levels of positive emotion such as joy, enthusiasm, love, happiness, optimism, who doesn't want to be optimistic, joyful, happy, and enthusiastic? If you want me to, if you put your hand up, I'll lay hands in it. That's what, isn't that what you want to experience in your life? Isn't that what you want to do? And he goes on to say, which I think is just as important, the practice of gratitude, and we'll get to that in a second, the practice of gratitude protects a person from the destructive impulses of envy, resentment, greed, and bitterness. When we're grateful for what we have, we're not as envious of what other people have. In fact, we can rejoice to what other people have. When we are grateful, we suffer less with resentment that we've somehow been left out of the party. We suffer less with greed, desires to have more and more and more. And more importantly, we, we suffer less from bitterness. When people practice gratitude. Now I want to look a little bit more at the practice of gratitude. Maybe the next time out we're going to look a little bit at that. Um, I'm going to just continue on the, on the happiness theme. Are we okay with happiness? Okay, that's correct. Half of you, that'll do half of you. We'll settle for that. Um, we're, but we're going to look a little bit more at the practice of gratitude. But you know, here's the important thing about practice. None of us, you might have heard the term practice makes perfect. Yeah? 
So you may have heard that practicing anything is the way to perfection in that particular thing. But you know, it isn't true. Because perfection just isn't available. You will never sing the perfect song. You'll never do the perfect project. You'll never have the perfect marriage. You'll never have the perfect husband. Would any of the wives say amen? Amen. You'll never have the perfect wife. Would any of the men say amen? Amen. Oh, lads. (laughs) Let's have a quick prayer for courage here, shall we? Perfection is not available. But I'll tell you what practice does. Oh, what happened there, lads? Could you give me back my slideshow, please? Thank you. Appreciate that. Let me tell you what it is. Practice makes permanent. It makes permanent. That's what practice does. Whatever you practice in your life, that will become a permanent part of who you are. So if you want to moan all the time, you're going to become a moaner. Nobody loves a moaner, okay? If you think moaning is the way to get a nice life and a lovely girlfriend, it's not, okay? It's not. But if you want to be enthusiastic and joyful, that practice becomes permanent in your life. What you do every day becomes your life. Would anyone say amen? When we speak positively, that becomes a permanent activity in our life. When we pray regularly, that becomes a permanent activity in our life. Are you with me? Okay, let's look at one, one last thing before we get to the final scriptures. The science bit. I love the science bit of this because there's lots of science behind what I'm saying. And I think it's important that we as Christians realize that we're not cut off from the benefits of this thing even scientifically. Here's some of the benefits of being grateful. Not my opinion, scientific evidence to support all of this. Here we go. Grateful people have better and more relationships. It's what they call a pro-social activity. It is pro-social. It will connect you more to other people if you are grateful. Strange enough, if you say thanks to somebody, it actually has an effect on them. They feel appreciated. You make a connection. It's not complicated. Having said that, now let me just get one tiny caveat in, but don't go down the Irish route, okay? Where it's, oh, thanks for the thanks. No, thanks, thanks. Honestly, you thanked it. You know, the ridiculous thanks. You'd n- you would never hear a South African doing that. They would just say, thank you. And they wouldn't, they'd struggle with it, you know, but the Irish, oh, thanks. I'm really thankful. Oh, I can't believe how thankful I am that you actually did something for me. Thanks. And oh, by the way, thanks for the thanks. You know, they, don't, don't go that route. But just being grateful and thanking people actually connects you to them socially. Here we go. You have better physical health if you are a grateful person. Better physical health. What about this? You exercise more often if you are a grateful person. You exercise more often if you are a grateful person. If you run, if you, sorry, if you run, Jim, if you, if you are grateful, you'll run more often, you'll do more push-ups and sit-ups, you'll probably even get washboard abs. No, I'm taking it too far. And, uh, but they exercise more often. I don't know what's after that. I must just have that grateful thing going on in my head. I love exercising. And you find that people who are grateful exercise more often, believe it or not. They have lower blood pressure. They're not ready to burst at any moment. They don't have very low blood pressure, which is dangerous, or high blood pressure, which is dangerous. They've got this nice lower middle of the road blood pressure and it's healthy. It goes on. They have better and longer sleep patterns. Gratitude makes you sleep 
better. And in one scientific study with people who suffered from uh, insomnia, 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 people who suffered with insomnia, they gave them a, a practice, and the pra- they, well, they obviously divided into two groups. One people got a practice of one thing, one people got a practice. But the, the group who were in the gratitude group were to think every night before they went to sleep of three things for which they were happy. Three things they were happy, they, they were, for which they were grateful, and the reason why those things had happened in their lives. And they found that the people who practice gratitude as the last thing at night slept deeper and longer than those who didn't. Now, is that really that much of a surprise? Because if you're lying in bed at night reading on your news app just before you clock out at 11.30 at night or to whatever time you go to bed, and the last thing you read is, COVID viruses all over the world! And then you go to sleep, and for some reason, you can't understand you're having bad dreams because there's zombies coming after you in your dreams. And you're going, I wonder why this is happening. I'm having disturbing dreams. It's about what you're putting into your mind before you go to sleep. Hello? The Bible, the Christian life is a practical one. Think about it. I remember cutting my grass one time. I was cutting my grass one day. I was walking up and I was cutting my grass. And uh, I just noticed, I, I began to feel a spiritual heaviness on me. I'm cutting my grass, I have my headphones on, and I have my earmuffs on. And I just noticed the heaviness, I'm saying, Lord, I've just noticed that there's a heaviness in my spirit for the last couple of weeks. And Lord, would you help to lift the heaviness in my spirit? And then it dawned on me. A couple of weeks earlier, I'd started to listen to an English folk singer called Kate Rusby. And Kate Rusby plays these songs about love lost people and people who died and mining disasters. And every time you turned into her, it was like, and now they're all dead at the bottom of the mine. And I'm cutting the grass going, Lord, I feel a spiritual heaviness. What a load of tosh. It's what I was putting into my head was giving me the spiritual heaviness. And you know what? Here's a piece of advice. Lean in. Don't tune in to all the bad news all the time. If you want an update, spend five minutes a day, go on to the HSC website. Don't go on to Facebook or Snapchat saying, Ah, there's a fellow at my school, let's go over Ah! Don't. Sorry. Check it once and leave it there. No, don't check it twice. Check it once. If you check it twice, you'll drive yourself crazy. But please, not the last thing at night. COVID, 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 COVID. Ah! Are you with me? Do you believe me? Okay, better sleep patterns for those who are grateful. Anyway, lessons, depression, symptoms. I want to look at that more closely in the next couple of times out because this is really important. There's an important piece of research all about depression and gratitude. I'm going to move on. It lessens toxic emotions as we've looked at a little bit earlier. It means that people have more empathy and less aggression. When you are grateful for the things in your life, you are less aggressive. It's that simple. And it's also very hard to be thankful for someone and aggressive with them at the same time. Really hard. Try it with your husband or wife sometimes. See if it works, okay? (laughs) Finally, people who are more grateful, wait for this, have more self-esteem. Oh, self-esteem, it's all very shallow. No, it is not. No, it is not. Because if you see a child whose self-esteem has been torn out of them, 
You are now seeing the old man who's had their self-esteem torn out of them. It can be a very, very hard thing to heal. Self-esteem is really important. And for the Christian, let me remind you, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Esteem yourself. And you have stronger mental strength as in more mental resilience. Are you convinced that gratitude is a good thing? Yeah. I, should, I should hope so. I'm exhausted from telling you. Thanks, you're, thank, you're, you're a good man yourself. Thank you, Martin. Good man yourself. Let me finish with, the last, with, with two last Bible verses. And this is where I want to do the application, if you will, this morning. And look at a passage from Philippians chapter 4. Paul's writing to the early Philippian church. People who had troubles in their own right. This is what he said. He said, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Why? Because when we thank God for all he has done, we are given hope and faith for what he will do in the future. Are you with me? When we're reminded of God's goodness in our lives, then we remember and we build our faith and we can go, yes, God, as you have done in the past, so you will do in the future. Would anyone say amen? As you have blessed and prospered me and protected me in the past, so you will bless and prosper and protect me in the future. As you have used me for the goodness of your kingdom in the past, so you will use me again. Lord, as you have given me this gift, let me use it again. And so we see time upon time again, when we give thanks, we're reminded of God's already at work goodness in our lives. He says, then you will, ex- then you will experience God's peace, that good night's sleep that you've been longing for, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and guard your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. So in a few moments, we're going to, Bring something before the Lord that we're worried about. Or that we're anxious about. Or that we want to pray about. But we also want to bring something before the Lord that we want to give thanks for. We're going to do that in just a second. Maybe the band will come up. Guys, you want to come up to me? And lastly, I want to finish off with this scripture. And we're going to look at it. uh, This last scripture. If you say to yourself, but uh, Michael, thanks for all the science and all the sciencey bits. I really appreciate that. But like, how do I know? I mean, the Bible doesn't give us any command to give thanks. (coughs) Wrong, it gives a very clear command. And here Paul writes to the Thessalonians. Now the Thessalonians were persecuted Christians. They were having their property confiscated. They were being, they were having their meetings broken up. Some of their leaders were being taken off and put into prison for their faith. And here's what Paul tells the Thessalonians. He says, never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. Which circumstances? all circumstances for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus it is God's will that you never stop praying and that you always give thanks to God in every circumstance isn't that a good thing amen will you stand with me for a second before I finish off on this message I have one last thing to say to you thank you for listening this morning God bless you now we're going to pray we're going to pray The guys are going to sing for us in just a second. But before they sing, I'm going to ask you to do one thing. Would you just close your eyes to me for a moment? Do you want to ask a simple exercise? If you've got an anxiety or a worry, it can be a very big one or a very small one. It can be a long distant future one, but it can be a very present one. If you've got a worry or an anxiety and you want to follow the instructions of the scripture which says never stop praying and you want to bring that before the Lord this morning, would you raise your left hand and ask you to raise your left hand if you want to bring a care before the Lord this morning. Lift your left hand. Will you raise it high for me? Raise it nice and high. 
Now, if you have something, and I'm going to encourage everyone to participate in this, by the way. I'm going to encourage you to participate. If you've got something for which you can acknowledge and say, Lord, I can give thanks to you for that, what you have done in my life. This item, this thing, this situation that you have unraveled. I'm going to lift my hand and give thanks with my right hand. Will you raise your right hand before the Lord? And with both hands extended high before God, I'm going to pray and lead us in prayer. Lord, we thank you for what you've already done in our lives. Would anyone say amen? We thank you, Lord, for your protection. We thank you for your provision in our lives. We thank you, Lord, that all of our needs are taken care of, Lord, and that you care about our every needs. I thank you, Lord, that we have shelter and running water and even small and simple things. But, Lord, I thank you moreover that even in the midst of our enemies, you prepare a table, a feast for us, Lord. And with our left hand, Lord, we pray and say, Lord, but you know that this care is in my life. You know this concern is in my life, Lord. I pray for this person. I pray for your provision. I pray for this situation. I pray for my work situation, my home situation. I pray for the health issue, Lord, for the test results I got back that aren't so good, Lord. I bring before you, Lord, everything from my career to the cancer diagnosis, Lord. I lift it before you, Lord, and say, I cast my cares upon you because you care for me. Hear my prayer, O God. And with both hands extended before you, Lord, we pray that the protection that we enjoyed last week, we would enjoy again this week. Would anyone say amen? That we would be a people who walk in faith and not in fear. That we would know your angels going before us and following behind us, Lord. Lord, that our hearts would be filled with gratitude when we examine our lives. Lord, give us the wisdom to take the time this week to remember all the good things that you've done. Remember all the good promises you've given. And to have faith and trust and hope in you. In an uncertain world, we pray. Would you bless us? In Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. God bless you, brothers and sisters. And go with you. Tribe Church is going to be starting here in just the next couple of minutes. Tea and coffee is being served upstairs. The lads are going to play us out. God bless you. And go with you. And watch over you. In Jesus' name.